So when you and I are old, we're not necessarily going to have younger people who, who will be willing to care for us. So it doesn't matter how much money we're going to have. We might not have a person to help us. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Deneef, and today's guest is Karen Etkin. Karen is a gerontologist and entrepreneur based in Israel who founded the website thegerontechnologist.com. She has a lot of experience working in aged tech startups such as Intuition Robotics and Sensi AI and is a self-described aged tech evangelist, promoting the opportunity and importance of innovation in the aged care setting to the world. As you'll hear, Karen is very passionate about the role that entrepreneurs and investors can play in changing the lives of older adults. And in this episode, we explore in depth some of the ways in which technology might shape the future of aging. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We hope you enjoy this interview with Karen Etkin. Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. Can we start with a bit about yourself and, and your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I am a gerontologist by training. And I got a master's degree in gerontology from Ben Gurion University. And for the past few years, I've been working in tech. So once I graduated, I was recruited as the first employee to Intuition Robotics. And we built a social robot for older adults, which was a wonderful experience. And during my time at Intuition, I started writing about HTech because I realized that there were many amazing startups developing wonderful technology for older adults and they needed attention. They needed a, a stage, if you will. So I started writing about it. I started mapping the market initially and I published the first market map. And I think it was in 2018 and it sort of took off from there. Um, and after I moved on from Intuition Robotics, I started my own company, Sensei AI, which developed software solutions for the long-term care industry, which was a completely different product and also a wonderful and interesting experience. Fantastic. I do want to get to your writing. I know through your website, thegerontechnologist.com and, and what you're up to now. But before we do that, can we wind it back to your time at Intuition Robotics and, and talk about this companion that you're making? Uh, yeah, well, LEQ uh, was a social robotic companion for older adults. So it's very important to say that it wasn't meant to replace humans. It was designed to be an enabler of human connection. We know that, unfortunately, in our world, most technology is designed by younger people for younger, younger people. What happens is that we have this digital divide where we have tons of technology and we're very advanced. We're the most technologically advanced that humanity has ever been. But somehow we're leaving our elders behind because we're not building technology that is suitable for them. So it's not only that it's not always uh, usable, it's not just about usability, it's also about desirability. So a lot of the solutions that you and I might want to spend our money on, people in their 60s, 70s or 80s might not find them valuable mm. for their lives. Uh, so although they have discretionary income, they don't always find 
tech-enabled products and services to buy. So LEQ was, coming back to your question, LEQ was designed as an enabler for social connectivity and for communication. So right now, especially in Israel, most of the conversation within families happens on WhatsApp, right? So if your grandma is not able to use WhatsApp, she's excluded from the family conversation, um, which is a horrible feeling. So LEQ was built as an enabler for that. So for example, if I would put LEQ in my grandma's living room, I could send LEQ a text message and she would ask my grandma, hey, Karen sent you a message. Do you want to see it? Do you want me to play it out for you? And it would either display or read aloud the message to my grandma and my grandma would be able to reply just by using her voice. And so it's very intuitive. And obviously it's not just that. LEQ also had a a lot of other functions. So we was able to entertain them with uh, music and and podcasts and TED Talks. It was able to provide them with cognitive exercise and trivia games. It was able to offer them um, hydration reminders or, or medication reminders. All of these different functions that were from the older adult side, they were voice enabled, so they didn't have to learn anything new. And from Medicu's side, she has this multimodality, so she was able to express herself not just by using her voice, but also by using gestures like physical gestures or displaying content on the screen or playing sounds or uh, using the LEDs to express herself. So it was also very intuitive to understand what she was trying to say to you. I like that you started though addressing the, the big issue, which is that there is a lot of tech, but there's not much which is made with the older person in mind and even in consultation. With your background in, in gerontology, what was your role in the creation of LEQ? So I was recruited as the first employee after the founders. So my role was to do like the very, very basic research. Even before we had a product, just go out into the field, talk to as many older adults as I could and ask them, how they're using technology right now and why they're choosing to use certain solutions over others, what uh, makes certain tech work for them and what doesn't. What would they want out of this product? Like we, we're gonna, I, I told them, we're going to build a device that's going to be connected to the internet and it's going to be voice enabled. You're going to be able to talk to it and ask for anything you want. What do you want it to do? Uh, and out of these responses, we sort of built a product. And of course, uh, I did my work here in Israel and my colleague Danielle, who's a wonderful, wonderful researcher, continued the work in, in the US with American older adults. And the responses we received uh, from our beta testers were phenomenal. They really bonded with LEQ, which was amazing to see. Is LEQ still going or what's happening with LEQ now? From what I know, they're still going strong and, and I'm super, super proud of them. Also, this, I think this product is extremely relevant during these times um, of the COVID pandemic and and social isolation. I think LEQ is is such a wonderful product to to really help older adults who are sheltering in place. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you you said you made a market map and that was through your website, thegerontechnologist.com, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing there? So obviously, I'm still working on on the Geron Technologist, which is my baby, what I do at night instead of sleeping. Uh, and during the day, I currently, I have some consulting projects that I do with their early stage startups in the age tech space. Mm-hmm. Uh, from time to time, I also get to be an advisor for either startups or investors or other organizations that are in the space of aging and technology and innovation. And I also get to do a lot of public speaking, which is such a wonderful thing that I get to be able to do. Before COVID, it required 
a lot of international travel, uh, which has its pros and cons. And right now, since geography is no longer a barrier, I get to do a lot more of it. And I get to be sort of an HTEC evangelist shouting from the virtual rooftops that this is a huge opportunity and any entrepreneur should be doing HTEC and any investor should be investing in the longevity economy. Yeah. What, what's the mission behind the website and the platform? Uh, well, like I said, my mission is to be an HTEC evangelist and to make anyone who's willing to listen understand how big of an opportunity this is from the purely economic perspective and also how important it is for us as a society to really give our attention to older adults. I mean, we've never had so many older adults. It's an unprecedented shift in the global demography of the world. So it's imperative that we uh, give our elders attention, not only in going to visit our grandparents, which is like on the micro level, what anyone has to do, but also on the macro level, making sure that everyone gets to age in the way that they want. So providing aging in place solutions for people who want to age in place and providing solutions for long-term care providers for those who prefer to age in a senior living community uh, or have to go into a facility. It's really important that we, and I say we because most tech dev developers are on the younger side, it's crucial that we give our elders attention. It's crucial that we include them in the design process of any product especially any consumer product. And also it's critical, I think, that we think of them. So for example, even if you're looking at micro-mobility solutions or e-scooters, I'm not sure that, that people who are building these thought what the implications are on people who are walking slowly on the sidewalk mm. and are not able to dodge uh, an e-scooter who's racing towards them. I think we all need to pay closer attention to our elders. That's the bottom line. On the website, maybe this is part of kind of your evangelism, but you, you talked a lot to venture capitalists and investors and, and people who are involved in, in kind of supporting this innovation. Is this just to show that there is a support there or what's your direction with that? Well, first of all, yeah, I think it's important to show that there is a support there. And what we have today that we didn't have five to 10 years ago are venture capitalists who specialize in this space. So first of all, I think it's important to highlight this as a trend. And we see more and more of these funds popping up. We also see more generalist funds investing in HTEC. A lot of the top tier funds are definitely looking into the space and making investments in this space, which means that they understand there's potential there. And the other thing is I like to think of of myself as an entrepreneur and what I would like to read. So I'm kind of selfish in that way. So if I were an entrepreneur, uh, again, I would want to know who's investing in this space. Like who can I reach out to to fund my startup? Yeah, fantastic. And you've also got a podcast, right, associated with the gerontechnologist.com? Yes, uh, I, I do have a podcast. Uh, the first season was about HTEC investors. So I got to interview several investors in this space and it was extremely interesting. Uh, I, I got a lot of feedback and I'm sure the investors also got a lot of feedback. But right now we're in sort of in, uh, in hiatus. I might kickstart that one again because it, uh, it was really, really fun to do. Podcasting is fun. It is fun, yeah. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. It seems like, uh, from what I can see over here in Australia, it seems like in Israel there's a lot of age tech startups taking off and, and getting funding. Is that actually happening? What's going on over there? It seems like it's very fertile ground. 
Yeah, well, Israel, uh, the reason we're called Startup Nation is because there are over 6,000 tech companies in Israel and we're only 9 million people. So in normal days, not pandemic days, if I walk down the street in Tel Aviv and I, and I throw a pebble, I'm going to hit an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's insane. And also it's a fertile ground for innovation. Uh, we have tons of uh, investors. We also have tons of really talented people from all walks of life who are interested in entrepreneurship. I think we're an entrepreneurial society. So it's very much encouraged to quit your job and become an entrepreneur. We have a really diverse ecosystem with all sorts of solutions from, from social and communication solutions like LEQ to fall detection technologies and health and wellness apps and products to virtual reality for rehabilitation. We really have everything. Like I think in almost every category of the HTEC market map, there is an Israeli startup. And that's amazing. I don't think there are many other countries who can say that. No, you're probably right there. In Australia, we're seeing we're seeing kind of a wave of of innovation, age tech as well. But we're we're also battling maybe a lack of funds or a lack of understanding from aged care providers and and the you know the clients and the customers and over here. Is that the case in Israel as well, or are aged care providers pretty up with innovation? Well, aged care providers in Israel are amazing. And like I said, we're a very entrepreneurial society. So a lot of the aged care providers are very forward thinking and very open to innovation. And they're very open to trying out new products and being beta sites. And they understand if they are working with a startup, they get a product that's not perfect, to say the least. And some of them actually have innovation departments, uh, which is amazing. It means that you have someone within the organization who's a, probably a former entrepreneur who speaks the language of tech and entrepreneurships and, and speaks the language of aged care. And, and they sort of bring these two worlds together and help this organization become more innovative and adopt technology. So I think we're, we're very, very fortunate in that aspect. Is the public aged care, is there private aged care in Israel? How does that system break down? So we have a wonderful public aged care system. We were one of the first countries in the world to have a state-funded home care. A lot of the older adults in Israel who receive home care receive at least partial funding from the government, uh, which is probably why we have such a large percentage of older adults who choose to age in place. On top of that, we have healthcare providers within the community and uh, who are able to provide anything from an x-ray to vaccines. So you don't have to go into a hospital to get proper health care. You can get it in, the, in your community within walking distance from your home, uh, which is amazing. So we do have a wonderful public support system here. Of course, if you want to pay extra, you can always pay extra, like anything in the world. And also, I think one of the major things people have to realize about Israel is that it's very small geographically. So most people live relatively close to their family members. So that, those are our standards. Yeah, fantastic. So you also, in Israel, there's also, seems like there's quite a lot of support for Holocaust survivors. And, and when you were a bit younger, you were working with Holocaust survivors in arranging care for them, right? What was that experience like? So the reason I got into gerontology is because uh, I volunteered with Holocaust survivors as a student. I was actually studying life sciences. I wanted to become a scientist and I volunteered with Holocaust survivors as a student and I sort of fell in love with the space and I realized that the whole aging space was super interesting. So after upon graduation, I started working uh, with at nonprofits with 
older adults. So it was a really, really interesting experience as a young person to, to be exposed to so many older adults who are not your grandparents. And I think it's an experience that not many young people get to experience. And it, I think it has, in many ways, shaped my worldview and the way I not only see the world, but also see myself and see what kind of older adult I want me. So I'm kind of, you could say that part of what I'm doing is, is selfish because I want to make a better world for older adults because I understand I'm going to be old one day. The common saying is that if you're ageist, it's kind of a crazy thing to be because you're discriminating against a group that you're going to be part of someday. So yeah, I started with, with Holocaust survivors, uh, which are all old now in Israel and sort of got sucked into the, into the aging business. You're listening to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. We're on a mission to examine ways to improve the quality of care and the quality of life for seniors. And each week, we're bringing age care industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals directly to you to share their knowledge, stories, and experiences. In season one of the podcast, we delivered thought-provoking and meaningful episodes covering consumer experience, dementia care, palliative care, service transformation, and research and innovation. And we've got plenty more amazing guests lined up for season two. So maybe you'd like to partner with us and have your message showcased directly to our rapidly growing audience of aged care executives and people working within the industry. For advertising inquiries, please email acepodcast at silver, that's S-I-L-V-R, adventures.com.au. Now let's get back to this week's guest. When you talk about what life will be like when you're older and, and when I'm older, how do you imagine it will be different? You're doing a lot of work in, in looking at aged care and tech and the future of it. What, how do you see it changing over the next you know, 40 to 50 years? Uh, well, hopefully we'll still have a planet to live in. Good start, yep. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good start. I really hope we can figure out a way to make everything we do more sustainable so we actually not only have a plan for ourselves but also for our grandchildren. But on a, in a more practical way, I obviously I think we're going to need a lot of help, right? The way the demographic trends are currently working at is that we have a lot of older people and we also have a decline in birth rates. So when you and I are old, we're not necessarily going to have younger people who, who will be willing to care for us. So it doesn't matter how much money we're going to have. We might not have a person to help us with very basic things that people need help with as they grow old. So I think robotics will certainly play a big role in aging in place and in helping people do very basic things that don't necessarily require emotional intelligence which hopefully will then enable the actual humans to play their role in our lives as companions, as family members, to fulfill base, the basic human needs, right? Because right now, uh, if family caregivers, uh, when they visit their parents or grandparents, they're busy with cleaning the house, making food, whatever, it means that they have less time to pay attention to their older adults' uh, emotional needs. It means that they have less time to maybe sit down and have a conversation with them or play chess with them or learn something from them or talk about the family history. All of the things that people regret not doing more once their parents or grandparents pass away. So hopefully we'll be able to delegate all the manual labor to robots and, and just be humans. And 
when it comes to being in the community, obviously, like we're going to have autonomous vehicles and hopefully also, I really hope public spaces become safer because of that. Because right now, being an older adult in the city is dangerous. Crossing the street is dangerous. Using the sidewalk is dangerous. So hopefully if we have also delegate driving to machines instead of humans, it will become safer to humans. I really hope that all tech becomes inclusive eventually. I really hope that by the time you and I are in our 70s and 80s, tech is just ambient. So we don't need to think about it. So that's my, uh, I want to say prediction, but it's really a hope that I have for the future. Yeah, it's your vision perhaps. Yeah. There are plenty of companies that are uh, that are working on automating some of the simpler tasks in in care. I know in Australia, there's a couple that are doing, you know, autonomous trolleys that can move things around care facilities, or they can, you know, automatic medication dispensers. Do you think that it's possible that with the development of AI to a higher level, we might be able to have robots that can provide emotional care and emotional support? Do you think that's possible? I don't know, but a lot of the things that happen today are things that we never thought was possible a few years ago. Like even things that we take for granted today, like like text-to-speech, right? You can send this interview for automatic transcription right after we're finished and you'll have it done within five minutes, right? Uh, Those are things that we never thought were possible. So I don't want to say anything is impossible because humanity has proven us wrong more than once. Yeah. I think the way that everybody talks about it at the moment is is very much like there will always be a role for humans in in caring for older people and I think that's that's probably true but as you said that aging population is is happening all over the world and maybe there won't be enough people to to care for people in the same way that we we're doing now so I wonder if compromises will be made this is all just future speculation there isn't it Absolutely compromises will be made because people who don't have family members to care for them who are they going to turn to? Mm. They either have to get paid help. And if paid help isn't available, uh, which is already the case, the case in a lot of places in the world, they'll have to look elsewhere to fulfill these very basic human needs. And unfortunately, not every older adult has a loving family to care for them and, and fulfill those needs. That's just a reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, going back to LEQ, an aspect of what LEQ was doing was providing companionship and, and some level of emotional support. So perhaps it's not that much of an extension to say, what if that went further? Absolutely. So what does leadership in age tech look like for you? Wow, that is a great question. I think we have many, many wonderful thought leaders in this space. So just off the top of my head, I can think of Lori Orlov from Aging in Health at TechWatch and Murray Frolong and Joe Coughlin from the MITH Lab and Tom Camber from, uh, from Oats. So leadership has many forms in this space. So some people write like I do and some people founded organizations, nonprofit organizations. Some people are leaders in academia and some people have conferences. I think leadership in this ecosystem is very, very diverse, like this ecosystem is. And we're very, very fortunate to have so many talented and driven and smart people driving innovation forward and making sure that everyone has a place in HTEC. Mm. If you were called in to help with a company, for example, and they they said, Karen, we want you to help transform us into a brand that's seen as a leading brand and and someone who's really making waves in aged care and technology, what kind of advice would you give? Uh, Well, that is a great question. 
So first of all, I think Intuition Robotics has done great work with their brand. So not only practicing user-focused design and including older adults in the design process, but also making them at the front. So a lot of the representations we see these days of older adults are ageist. You will see like a frail older adult who needs assistance. And in the past few years, we've seen more and more startups like Intuition Robotics present older adults in the best of light. So really showing diverse images of older adults, showing older adults enjoying life rather than at their weekends. So I think that is like the number one thing any company in this space needs to do is make sure that their marketing isn't ageist because no one wants to think of themselves as old and frail. I'm not saying that companies who have made older adults think of themselves as old and frail haven't succeeded in the past. But I think that in this day and age, uh, as we see baby boomers aging, they're a new generation. I don't think they're going to be okay with these representations. I don't think they're going to want to spend money on products that make them feel bad about themselves, basically. So if we look at the Apple Watch, it has fall detection capabilities, and it also has an EKG. And when you're over the age of 65, those features are automatically activated. So if you're over the age of 65 and you have an Apple Watch, you know you have fall detection, right? But it doesn't make you feel bad about yourself because the Apple Watch is beautifully designed. It's a cool gadget. Everyone wants it. It's expensive. So I think more companies should be going the, the Apple way and the intuition robotics way and not the route that has been very common in the past. Mm. I'm going to out myself to listeners here. I'm a bit of a, a technophobe in some ways. So I have, let me see if I can get my phone for you. I have a, uh, a Nokia 3310. No way. Yeah, I know. Because I'm a little, I don't like having all the stuff with me, but I'm also, there is a small part of me that is cautious around my data and around my location and that sort of stuff. As we get things like the Apple, the Apple Watch and things that are collecting biometric data in real time, do you think that security is another concern that needs to be monitored? To some extent, yes. I know that like governments are really trying to be on top of this and there's a lot of regulation and also a lot of public awareness. I think at the end of the day, public awareness is key and Every, every one of us as a consumer has to, to make decisions and we, and we make decisions and we, and we make trade-offs every day. So every day when we use certain products or services, we trade off personal data for comfort and convenience. Mm. I think to some extent, we don't have a choice over it, right? So even if, you don't, if you're not using the Apple Watch, so the Apple Watch won't collect your location data, you're still going to go outside and you're going to have the municipality's cameras uh, recognizing your face. So they're going to know that you were at the gas station yesterday at 8 p.m. or something like that. So I think to some extent this ship has sailed, mm. uh, but we still need to be conscious consumers. And, and definitely no one reads the, the terms and conditions of any service they're using. But at least like the very basic thing that I do is check what permissions applications have on my phone. Uh, like the very basic thing. So I make sure that I, I don't give my data to products or services that don't provide value to me based on that data. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. 
I guess I feel like for me, there's a, a difference between, as you said, the municipality's cameras catching your your face and knowing where you are. And in the case of some tech that's being developed, it, you know, if a private company knows that I'm at risk of developing a heart condition or something, and they have that link to me, do you think that responsibility lies with governments or lies with industry or lies with individuals in safeguarding the information? I think everyone has responsibility to safeguard information and everyone has responsibility to not use information in a way that uh, doesn't provide value to the user, basically. Even like some companies might say that using your, your information, like using your browsing data to give you targeted ads provides value to you. Some people might agree with that statement and, and some people don't. And if you don't agree, just and you know that that's the world we live in, then there are steps you can take to make sure that no one's tracking your browsing data, right? Mm. It, being concerned is one thing and taking action is another thing. So you need to take action. I, and, and most people probably won't take that action, right? They can be concerned and they won't take that action because you walking around with a, an old Nokia phone is quite radical, right? Mo- most, no, <laughs> seriously, because most people prefer the convenience of having a smartphone. And you know what? The first time I got a smartphone, I probably had a location disabled. And then I realized that having it enabled provided me with convenience and I enabled it. Slippery slope, right? Yeah, it is definitely. To me, it it feels like there is something, the slippery slope gets out of control when it's my biological data. I think when it's, it's collecting things that relate to my health. I'm sure in Australia, I'm not sure of the specifics, but... I'm sure the government agencies and healthcare is collecting information about my health and, and that's there to assist in, in caring for me. I think um, maybe I'm focusing on this because it's the idea of private companies having that data as well. Well, I, I worry about private companies and about uh, public organizations and healthcare providers in the same way. Well, that's a, we've covered a lot of different stuff there. I'm not sure if the tech ethics questions will make it in. but <laughs> No, but it's is, an interesting conversation. It is an interesting conversation. It's one we haven't had here before. Thank you so much for coming, Karen. It's been great. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.com.au. See you next week.